Well, good morning, family. A great day to celebrate Valentine's Day. I, um, for those of you here and to those online, um, I'm praying God will speak to your heart in some special way this morning. I, um, I, being it's Valentine's Day, I thought I'd speak on a subject that would just kind of surprise you. So I'm going to talk about love. <clears throat> We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to ask this question. How many of you know God loves you? Raise your hands. How many of you know how much God loves you? Yeah, that was kind of a trick question. No, you don't. You don't know how much. In fact, we'll see that as we go through this uh, chapter a little bit. God's love for you is, we're incapable of fully understanding it at this time. But there will be a time that you'll fully understand it. There's a promise for that. But right now, it's not that time. We're learning, we're growing, hopefully, we're getting to know more and more how much God loves us. Um, what we look at, what we're about to look at in this subject is that love causes things to be valuable. Love causes things to be valuable. Things that are not valuable otherwise can, be, can, can reach their, their full potential and their, their value because of love. And your ability... To love others is in direct proportion to your appreciation for God's love, for the love of God. God's love for you is, and I say appreciation, because you can know God loves you, but it kind of can be an intellectual thing. But your capacity, your ability to appreciate God's love, and that comes as revelation about God's love becomes more real to you. But as you are able to, uh, to ex experience the appreciation of the revelation of God's love, well, then your capacity to love others grows. And, uh, and so as we take a look at this, and what I want to do is we're going to go through the entire chapter this morning. But the first section, I'm going to be moving in more summary. When I get to verse 8, then I'm, we're going to slow down and take... Um, some a detailed look at that. Not that we're going to just, um, you know, just go bypass the first section, but we won't be going as in much as much detail. But there's what what getting kind of where this is, so we can have context. The the chapter before the twelfth chapter. <coughs> excuse me. Paul has been writing back in this entire book to a church that has gotten kind of out of order. They've got things turned around. Things that are important have been pushed down. And things that aren't as important has taken precedent in their church services and gatherings. They, um, they're a church that has fully experiences many of the gifts of the Spirit, but they didn't have them, they weren't operating under love in using those gifts. 
And so as he ends chapter 12, he says, I don't want you to come behind in any of the spiritual gifts. I want you, I w- I want you to, to seek earnestly the best gift. And then he says, but I want to show you another way. I want to show you something superior than that. As you, you know, as you function as a church. So he's writing to believers about love. But what he's revealing is what true love is. He's revealing the kind of love. See, God is, the, the scripture says God is love. Now, that doesn't mean love is God. That's a whole different thing. God, God, his character, his very center of his being is love. He, he, this is, as we look at the characteristics of love here, we see the characteristics of God. We see who he is, okay? And, and so if we want to evaluate, and I don't think we have the right to do that, but if we were to evaluate God, we would evalu- have to evaluate him based upon his love. That's how we would have to do that. Now, the, he starts off by talking about what they would have can look as what was important with their spiritual prowess. And he, 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 he says over and over again in this beginning verses that, that if you operate in this way without love, he just says you're nothing. That's kind of harsh. Don't you to say somebody you're nothing. That, that's worse than, you know, than calling them something that's, to be nothing, well, but he's not saying they're nothing. He's saying what they're doing is nothing. And he starts off by saying this, and it, it's, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels. Now, when he refers to tongues, he's already talked about it in verse 12 and in verse, I mean, chapter 12 and in chapter 14. And he talks about the gift of tongues. It's not just somebody speaking a language. So he says, though I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Now, some say angelic language is actually what when people speak in tongues, that that's angelic language. I don't know that that's true, and it doesn't say that in the text. But there is, there is a language that angels speak. And he says, if you were to speak in the, in, in, with that kind of ability, that kind of gift, he says, and not have love, you become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I don't know if you uh, know this, but I am actually a musician. I, 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 I know some of you don't, don't, you, you don't know my story, but I am a musician. When I was um, in junior high, I joined a marching band because I wanted to go to, to the Rose Bowl and some of the other places, and I joined this marching band, and I learned to play the cymbals. They came in, they taught me the cymbal. It took about, about five minutes. <laughs> and I learned this instrument. And it was as hard as I could. You know, but you had to do it at the right time. There's a talent to it. You do it at the wrong time, it doesn't work. But the problem with the cymbal it's not an instrument on its own. It'd been better learning the guitar or piano or something along those lines where you can actually play music. There's no music to play. You have to have 
music going for a symbol to even, you know, add anything, if it adds anything at all. To play the symbol, if we were to play it, I actually was tempted to get symbols, come here, and, and show you my great talent. <clears throat> but I know it would annoy you, so I chose love instead. <clears throat> it just, it, it is, it's annoying just to hit those symbols. And he says here, he says, if you, if you do these gifts, if you have this gift of tongues and you, you express them because they were, he said, he says, but to have not love, you're like that. You're like that annoying sound, the emptiness of it. There's nothing good in that. He, he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, and listen to this, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. That's the gift of knowledge. What, wouldn't that be good? That's got to be great. I mean, prophecy, to be able to prophesy and speak for God, to, have, to understand mysteries that others don't understand, all knowledge, wow, isn't that great? He says, but, right, I have all that. And, and though I have faith, so I could remove move mountains. That is, that's pure faith. If you have all of that, aren't you something? He says, but have not love. He says, I'm nothing. So there's something essential about love that gives value to any of these, any, any of these, oper- these gifts, any of these talents, any of the things that we do, that when they're not done in love, that they don't really amount to anything. I think the list that he gave us is pretty high up there, which means the things that are, we would consider less than would also fall under those categories. If I don't, I might have gifts. I might be able to do some things that other people, that maybe give me a, a sense of, of worthiness or a sense of, of value. And he says, but if you don't have love, don't get too, don't, don't get too proud of yourself. The scripture says, you're nothing. You have nothing. And then he goes to another point. First, he talks about spiritual prowess. And then he talks about extreme generosity. Extreme generosity. He says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. In other words, I sell everything I have. Take that and give it to the poor. Wow. That's that's quite a sacrifice. He says, and though I give my body to be burned. That is martyrdom. I give my body to be burned. I, I go... And I give myself as a martyr to be put to the stake as Christians were in that day. And he says, and have not love. Now, can you do that? Can you give everything you own to someone else and to other people that need it and have not love? Obviously, you could. Obviously, you could do it for different motives, not because of love. Maybe you're doing it so that, you know, that you can get notoriety, that people can look at you and go, what an amazing person. 
Maybe you're doing it for the wrong reason. He, he's just saying, he's telling us that no matter, even the highest level of what we would consider generosity, selling everything and giving it to the poor, the highest level of sacrifice, you give your body in, as, as a martyr. He says, if, even those things without love, well, he says, I, then it profits me nothing. There's no benefit to it. Now, the love that he's talking about is a love that comes from God. It's a quality of love. Now, there's different levels of love we, we live in. And, and the Bible speaks of three. There's actually, in, in the Greek language, there were four. But the Bible speaks of three of them. And the, the first one, the, or the, we would consider the lowest level of love, but it's still love. It's valuable. The Bible talks about it, it's important, is the word eros love. And that's where we get the word erotic. Eros is where we get the word erotic. It's the sexual love. Now, that doesn't mean it's impure. It, it, it can be totally pure and of God within the context of, uh, of, his, of his way and his word. You know, through the context of a husband and wife in marriage. So that, that is, that there's, it, it speaks of that kind of love. But then there's another kind of love. Another kind of love is, is the, the Greek word is phileo. It's phileo love. It's friendship love. Okay. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's where it comes from. It's a, this brother, it's this, it is this friendship love. Isn't that a wonderful love, isn't it? When you have a friend and you care. But then this love is a different level. It's agape love. And I, the best way of defining it, it's selfless. It's selfless love. It, it's love that doesn't need anything in return. And it's love that, um, that in fact, is given without... Without, without anybody having to come to a place of, you know, of, um, of deserving it. It's love given without being deserved. It's agape love. And, and people are capable of agape love, whether you're actually a believer or a non-believer. Some believers think that you can only operate in agape love if you're a believer. Well, believers have a greater capacity because the Holy Spirit is in us and the love of God is spread through our, in our heart by the Holy Spirit, the scripture says. But it also says Jesus made this comment. He, he, said, he said, if you, you know, he said, even love your enemies. That's what he said. You're to love even your enemies. And he said, if you love only those who love you, he said, what reward do you have? There's no reward in that because you're loving those who love you. And he says, even the heathen do that. So he, he's saying, you know, like a, a mom and dad can love a child, you know, or they love each other. You know, they love the family, love those who are close. Those who have loved them, they love back. But he said, there's a different level of this love. A love that loves when there's the person doesn't deserve it. A person that loves without, without needing or expecting anything in return. 
It's, it's a giving, selfless love. It's the love that God has. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which, which, with which he loved us. Everybody say great love. Great love. That's the love God has. It's great love. Great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved. In other words, God's mercy that he's extended to you and God's grace that he's extended from you was motivated by his love without, without expecting or needing anything in return. God loves those he knows will never love him back. He knows they, they, they will reject him. He loves them too. This is the love of God. And he loves you. And if you have received the mercy of God and received the grace of God, understand that that love or that grace and that mercy that has come to you has come to you because of God's purposeful love for you. It, it's not a general love. It's not, it's not, you know, God so loved the world. We go, okay, God loved the world. That's great. And I'm just in it, right? No, this love is specific. There was a love extended to you that, that in fact, allowed for, that, that brought God's grace and mercy to you. It was the motive of God. And even though God loved the world, understand, he does, but it doesn't preclude the fact there's an individual heart love for you from God. And, that, and, and he knows you. There's no, there's no question about the fact that his love for you is not based upon just a general idea of love. I love all my kids. But that doesn't mean I just love all of them corporately. It also means I love each one individually. That's God. That's God. Now, so he, he, he gives us what, what love looks like. What does love look like? Well, first of all, love does not behave rudely. I'm sorry. I missed the whole verse. Love first suffers long. The, the, the other word is patience. This is where my love gets tested. It's on the road. My love gets tested on the road. And, and this is where patience works thin. And I have, to, I have to deal with love. And you do too. I, I, everybody has their challenges with love. And I have several of them. I have quite a few actually, I have to admit. One of them is when somebody just cuts me off on, on, on the road, right? And they're going 100 miles an hour. And my mind goes... Well, I don't, I, I'll call them sometimes, I'll call them a name. And they can't hear me. And, you know, and it, it comes out, and then here's, you know, I, I love the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he, um, 
He bothers me on purpose. You know? You know what I mean by that? He, he, he convicts me. He'll say things to me. And, and uh, this is the last time. It's been a little while since I've gotten really upset at somebody who was doing that on, you know, on the road. And, uh, and, but I do remember the last time. It, and the last time it happened, the Holy Spirit just convicted me. He says, you don't know anything about him. You know, I don't. I don't know. I don't know why he was racing. I don't know if he got a phone call that he had to get, you know. I don't know if he was late for work and it was his last chance. I don't know why he was doing that. But my judgment immediately went to the worst case scenario. And that's where my my judgment was he's just an idiot. That was that was where my head went. And I didn't have proof of that. See, love is patient and it's kind. And love does not envy, it's not jealous. You want to know when somebody loves you or doesn't love you? When you succeed, when something good happens, people who love you celebrate with you. People who don't see it as a competition. And, and love always celebrates, you know, with those who, who have good things happening in their life. Even if they don't have those good things, they celebrate with people who are. It's, it doesn't envy. Love does not parade itself. So when something good happens, they don't parade it. They don't try to make people feel envious of what they have, you know. They don't, they don't judge where others, hey, man, you should have bought that car where I got mine. You'd have got a better deal. <clears throat> I got this great deal. It might be a poor illustration. There are so many, right? It's not puffed up. Pride is never love. Pridefulness is never love. Pride and love don't go together. It does not behave rudely, right? Confession again. There's this guy in my Facebook group that annoys me. His posts annoy me. I, sometimes they get me mad. You say, well, why don't you unfriend him? Because I'm hoping he's reading some of my posts, and I try to talk to him. You know, there's posts that I post about the Lord, about good things, and um, but he he had put out something I responded to, and then his response was, and get this, he misunderstood what I said, and he thought I was just being sarcastic, but I'm never that way. Okay. Sometimes. So he misunderstood it. His response was really, I was angry with because I thought he was, I didn't know, understand that he was being sarcastic because he thought I was. And then I kind of hit him pretty hard. And, and, uh, and I was kind of proud. It shut him down. And then he responded with like, hey, I, I misunderstood this. And he said, he said, you can cool down. Which I didn't like either. 
And I responded, I'm, you know, I'm just being sn- a little snarky. And uh, when I went to bed that night, I told Carol, I said, I think I need to get off Facebook. It was eating me. You know? I, I had apologized by then, but I, where did that come from? It was rude, right? It was rude. I, I, I know I have that capacity, but I wasn't loving that guy. I have kept him on my friendship. You know, I mean, keep, I, did, I could have unfriended him a long time ago. I kept him on there so that I could be a witness to him. You know, and I hope I still can. But the point is, sometimes, and this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me before I started feeling guilty about it. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you're not going to win him over. Not that way, right? I'm, I'm hoping none of you can identify and feel bad about things as I'm sharing those things. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. See, it doesn't, it doesn't look at a situation or a person and just think the worst case scenario about them. It just doesn't do that. It does not rejoice in iniquity or the consequences of iniquity, obviously. Which we're in dangerous ground somewhat in, in right now in our nation. We're split. And there are people facing consequences for some of the things we consider sin and be careful that we're not just rejoicing in it. God will deal with God's God's just. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, justice will reign. God's justice. I'm ready for God's grace and mercy. I don't want justice. And neither do you. But there will be, if it's unrepented of. But rejoice in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Man, love is powerful. And this is the love of God. And it's so powerful that it's forever. And that's the, the last part. Love endurance. A love, love's endurance. Look at what it says in verse 8. Love never fails. Some of your translations will say, love never ends. You see, we can fail love, but love never fails. And it never ends. But it says, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And the knowledge he's talking about isn't just knowledge, it's the gift of knowledge. He's been talking about the gift of knowledge in both chapters before and after this chapter. So he's, he's referring to not just knowledge can't, disappear obviously Um, but 
the, the, the gift of knowledge. So he's talking about these gifts. Prophecy, tongues, and the gift of knowledge are going to vanish. And I would agree with that, of course. That's what the Bible says, right? I agree with that. But I need to kind of mention in, in this context that there are two, there's two views on this, primary views on this. And there's a segment of the body of Christ that believes that the next verse gives, uh, or this verse um, tells us that there's a reason why, you know, those gifts are no longer relevant for today. And, and if you look at the next verse, it says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Well, where it says that which is perfect has come, it can also be translated that, that when that, w- that which is perfect or the, um, that which is perfect has ended or come to a close. When that which is perfect has come to a close. Another way of, of translating it. It's not the best, but some will translate it that way. And so then that which is in part will be done away. So they look at that and they say, well, what has come to an end or what has come to, and, and, and th- there's a, a, a portion of the body of Christ that says he's referring to the Bible. When the Bible, the canon of scripture is complete, then the gifts are gone. And they, they, they tell us that the gifts ended when the canon of scripture was complete, was put together. Even though we have historical proof that the church actually continued to have these gifts in operation. But, that's, but that is not an accurate translation of this. And, uh, and let me take you to, um, just quickly, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to show you we're in the same book itself. See, it's not just... That, I mean, it's, the, you can go anywhere in the Bible, and if it's truth, it's truth. But we're looking at the same, so we know that the writer is writing in context of what he's been saying, and it's right in the same book. Chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that, that you were enriched in, in everything by by him in all utterance, that's the uh, gifts, the spiritual gifts, and knowledge. Okay? God gifted you in all utterance and knowledge. He's using the same terminology. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift. Now, all these gifts are in operation in this book, I mean, in, in this church called this church in Corinth. That you, say, I'm going to say that again, that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ? This same term that we use when we say the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This word is translated coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many times the same word. So he's saying and they're waiting for the revelation or the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end. 
that you may be blameless in what day? The day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's all about the coming of the Lord, and he's saying that you fall, you, you come short, and no gifts waiting for what? The Bible to be complete or the coming of the Lord? The coming of the Lord. By the way, we love the Bible. The Bible is our word. It's a, it's a word of God. It is it's our firm truth. It's, we, we stand by it. We, if the Bible says something and somebody prophesies something contrary, we take the Bible every time. This is not a less than with the Bible. It's just, I'm just showing you that the Bible itself tells us that those gifts were not ended at the, at the finish of the canon of Scripture when the New Testament was finished. And we actually have more proof even in this text a little further. So all I'm saying is this, that those gifts are still here and that would be a, fall, a, a wrong interpretation of, of that and saying that it ended with the canon of scripture being put together. It's still for today, still available. And we're waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he says this, when I was a child, I spoke... As a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. So I spoke, understood, and thought. When a child thinks, they think different than adults, don't they? When a child, when a child, you know, understands, there's a level of understanding that is different than an adult. And when a child acts and a child operates in in life, now what he says here is, when I was a child. I did these things, but now I'm a man. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, there's a value of the child. Jesus said, unless our faith is like a little child, we can't enter the kingdom. There's, there's some value to the simplicity of a child. There's a difference between just being a child or being childish. Because you can be childish at any age, right? I refuse to grow up. And we can have the Peter Pan syndrome. You know, I'm just never going to grow up. I'm always going to stay, I'm always going to be a, a child, and I'm never going to grow up. And he says, it's time to grow up. And in this context, growing up is loving. It's learning to love. That, that you can stay a child all your life. And you can, get, you, can be a, you can be childish, or I should say spiritually, a child, and you can be a Christian a long time. Age has nothing to do with it. Until you get past childish thinking and grow into love, you will remain spiritually a child. And it has nothing to do with your knowledge. See, sometimes we think we grow up because we have more understanding, we have more knowledge of the Word of God. The Bible does, that's not the evaluation. The evaluation of spiritual growth is your capacity to love. We miss that. Church just kind of bypasses that. We, we have everything else as an, as an illustration that we're mature spiritually and so forth. And the Bible says, well, the question is, how, how, how's, how's love going on? How are you loving people? How are you loving God? And then he gets to the now and then. 
the now and then. I'm going to ask you to do something just to keep your attention for a second. I'm, I'm manipulating you. I'm sorry. But I'm just telling you ahead. But I guess it's not a man, manipulation if, you get, if I tell you. But what I want you to do, when, when we come to now, as I read the text, say now with me out loud. When I, you come to then, I want you to say then loud. Okay? So here, here we go. Are you, can you read it? Here we go. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, I know in part, but then I shall know, I, I shall, uh, know just as I am known. Now, he's saying, I look into this mirror, and it's dim. Well, mirrors in those days weren't that clear in the first place, right? I mean, they just basically a piece of metal that which they'd shine the best they could and get their, be able to look in the mirror. Well, that's, that's, he says, I see dimly, and so do you and I. But he says, then face to face. What's that? What's the then? The then is, well, it's the place that we're headed toward. It's, it's as we are waiting for the coming of the Lord. That's the then. Right now we see dimly. Look in the mirror. You see yourself dimly. You are, and I are incapable of even knowing ourselves fully. He says, but then face to face. What, am I going to see myself? Face to face. There comes a clarity. But it's not me. He says, for now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. How am I known? God knows everything about you. Everything. There is nothing about you that God doesn't completely know. There's no gap. You can't sit down with God and say, hey, let me tell you a story about myself. And God's, you know, God might listen, but he already knew. He knows everything. There's no gaps in his knowledge of you. He knows the depth of your heart. He knows your every thought. He knows everything about you. So you are known by God fully. You don't know yourself fully. And you don't know God fully, right? We have, we, have a, we, have, we have somewhat of a knowledge of God, but we do not know God fully. But when that day comes, I will be known. I, the, the scripture says, then, then, then when that came, I, I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. What is that? Fully. Who? Him. Him. When we see him face to face, the Bible says we will be like him. At, at that moment, at the moment that we see God, there'll become full understanding and revelation that will come to us of God that we completely don't understand now. And that's why I tried to trick you into saying, I know you know, I know how much God loves you, me. Because you don't, you can't, you won't until this happens. 
when this happens, you will be overwhelmed with how much the, the love of God, the fullness of God's love, the, 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 the amazing beyond our brain capacity, the love of God. You'll fall down, oh God. Oh God. I don't know if you'll be able to say anything. I, I know I've been in the presence of God here on earth in which I couldn't say anything but go, oh, oh, you God are so. No one like you, God. It is so strong that when we operate in it, it brings value not only to us, but it brings value to others. You know, you don't have a marriage problem. You have a love problem. That's the problem. It's, it's, and it's not... I want you to notice in the description of love here, there's nothing because this is how we would describe. Could you describe love? Oh, when I look into her eyes and I just see that, that glistening. Oh, you know, I, I have that fluttering and that my heart. Oh, my heart. I just, I get that feeling. Oh, that, that would be in our description of love. It doesn't show up here. It isn't that it's not valuable. I believe God... You know, the Bible says we're the apple of his eye. He, you know, that's, that's, that's a, there's, there's heart in the way that God communicates. He, he gives an illustration of, of um, you know, of a, 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 a bride and a groom on, in their honeymoon and the love that they have, the emotion. He gives that illustration, the song of songs about him and us. So there is that. I'm not saying there isn't that. He has that. But when he describes it for us in the way that we operate toward one another, it's a verb, not an adjective. It, it is an action that we do toward one another selflessly where we really are caring for the other person and putting them above ourselves. When you have two people doing that, you have a great marriage. I mean, you can be totally incompatible. You could have married the person that, that the psychologist says, you should not marry that person and have a great marriage. But you have to. You have to learn to live in agape. You have to learn to love. And, and you, you won't be perfect at it. God doesn't expect that. He, he wants you to be moving toward that. He wants you to grow up in doing that.
He says, and finally, amen, right here. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. The greatest of these is love. Now, there's a comparison here that we just passed over. It's kind of a poetic ending. We just go, faith, hope, love, greatest of love. That's wonderful. Imagine, stop thinking what he's saying. Faith, what's greater than faith? Faith is, wow, that's how you get saved. You got to have faith. You, as a Christian, will have to live by faith your entire life. That, everything comes through faith. It's extremely important. Cast out, you know, faith. It's so important in our life. Hope. Hope, how do you, you, you well, you don't live very long without some kind of hope. And we, we live from hope to hope in most of our lives. We look at things in our life that, that are broken, things that, that cause us misery, and we, want, we have hope that we will find an answer to that, They'll, that there's something else that will bring healing to that. If it's a relational brokenness, we hope for a healing. Or if there's a health issue, we're hoping for an answer. If we're, you know, we're, we're, we're financial or whatever, career, whatever, there's always this hope that something will get better, something will change, something. And we look for that. We grasp that. If there's just even a little bit, we'll hold on to it. And everybody does it, not just you know, believers. Everybody does that. But a believer's hope is superior. And let me just tell you why. When you come to the end and there is no foreseeable positive future for you. We see that happening all, the, all over the place today. There are more people dying of suicide in our country now than ever before. I hear stories. It's, it's just, I mean, so sad. Where people have seem to have no hope. They've come to the end. Some people come to that place in their life, you know, at, at some point when they look and down the road is nothing but misery. You know? I mean, you think of even people who had everything, like Robin Williams, Right? He comes to the place and hope is not there anymore. Horrible. The Christian always has hope. Always. Because our hope isn't just in this life. And we have a blessed hope. That's the return of Christ. It's a hope that when there is no other hope. There was this elderly lady, when Carol and I, actually we were engaged and then when we got married, we went to visit her in the, in the, in the convalescent home. She was in her 90s. Her name was, we, we just called her Sister Heidner. She was known by that. Sister Heidner. She was in the last stages of, of her life, obviously. She couldn't get out of bed on, and, uh, and she, and so we went to encourage her. And we walked in. I saw the biggest smile. And, and she was so excited that we were there. But, but I, what I found out is she wasn't just smiling when we showed up. That that was part of the way she viewed life. And 
And when we got there, she started to talk to us and encourage us. So we went there and to encourage her, and she ended up encouraging us. And, and while, when, when, we, when we got there, after a few minutes, she said, well, you're my number, you're, you're my uh, 9 a.m. And we said, what? You're my 9 o'clock. And it, what's that? She says, every day at 9 o'clock, I pray for you and Carol. Every day. And we were not close to her. It wasn't like we were close friends, but she knew who we were in the church. We knew who she was. And that's the way she lived her life. At the end of her life, when others would say there's no hope, every day she woke up with joy in her heart because she had a hope that you can't get anywhere else. It comes from him, the Lord. So why is love greater? Because when you get to heaven, you won't need faith anymore. When you get to heaven, you won't need hope anymore. Hope will be gone. Faith will be gone. But love, it goes on forever. Forever. Your love for one another, your love for God, their love for you, love. The kingdom, what, what, if somebody says, what is heaven like? Let me tell you how. Love. Be filled with love. Can't, can't tell you all the details. I tell you this. Love. And you know what God wants? He says, why don't you kind of bring a little heaven to earth? Why don't we start loving one another? Why don't we grow in love? Heavenly Father, thank you. Because, Lord, there is, Lord, there is so much love available to us by you. Your word says the Holy Spirit sheds the love of God in our heart. So that we, our capacity to love is not limited to our own abilities. But, God, you enhance it. Father, thank you for that. I pray, Lord, as anybody's listening to my voice and you go, boy, I, I need God's love. I want you to know you can come into the kingdom of God and say this, if you've not invited Christ into your life, you need him desperately. We all do. And, and the, you need to have your sins forgiven. You failed God. You've not loved your whole life. You, that's, God's, that's, God, that's God's standard. Loving fully. We've all made, we've all sinned. We've all been selfish. We've all done things that are contrary to God's will. But he has paid a price. He not only loved the world, he loved you. And he gave his son, God the Father gave his son to die on a cross for you. So if you put your faith in him, if you accept his free gift of eternal life and you just say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, you were buried and you conquered death and I receive you as my savior. I ask you to cleanse my soul. Help me to follow you. I pray, God. I give my life over to you. I, I need you, God. I need you. Be my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And listen, if you prayed that prayer, I want to ask, I want to ask you 
to go online to ccanaheim.com and let us know. Just let us know, will you? We want to send some information, get you started in your walk with God. Do you want to say something? Would you like to lift your voice a little bit to the God who loves you more than you know? Could we do that? Let's just close with worship. Yeah. 
So good, God, so faithful. So I will love you, Lord, my faith. I will love you, Lord, my sheep. that one more time as we close. God bless you, church. Be blessed. Walk in his love. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, drive us awaken. The Lord is in this place. Play. 